Welcome. You're listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Visit us on the web at vedanta.org. Om Sam Gachadvam Sam Vadadvam Sam Vomanam Sijanatam Deva Pagayata Purve Sanjanana Upasate Samano Mantra Samiti Samani Samanam Manasahachitamesham Samanam mantra papi mantra yevas samane navo havishajuhomi samani va akutis samana redayani vaha samanam astuvomano yatavasu sahasati om shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat. May we come together for a common purpose. May our minds be united in the quest for higher wisdom. Common be our prayer. Common our goal. Common be our purpose. Common our ideal. Unified be our hearts. United be our intentions. Perfect be the harmony and the unity among us. Om peace, peace, peace be unto us all. Good morning, and I'm surprised you're all here. Don't you realize it's raining out there? And Santa Barbans never know what to do with, with water. We're so unused to it. So I've chosen the, the topic of new beginnings because it's pretty much the new year. And we have a hard time even thinking about the new year without thinking of making some sort of resolutions. You know, you, we have when you think of New Year's, you think of New Year's resolutions. So, um, and it's actually a part of our culture. I didn't realize how far back the tradition goes. It actually goes back to the time of the Babylonians, which is over 4,000 years ago, to the festival of Akitu. And in this festival of Akitu, which was to celebrate the rebirth of the natural world. So during this time, people would plant crops. They would crown a new king or reinvest the old king. They would pay back their debts. What an idea. And, and, the, uh, and the other thing is they would make promises to the gods for the coming year. And those who kept their promises to the gods, those people the gods blessed, and those people who didn't keep their promises, well, the gods were not so happy with them. So people really worked on keeping their promises to the gods. And that's how this tradition started. It continued with the Roman Empire. But interestingly enough, it was in 153, before the Common Era, where the Roman Senate decided that January 1st would be the beginning of the new year, which hadn't happened before. They chose January 1st to honor the god Janus. And if you remember, Janus has two faces, one in the front and way in the back. So allowing him to look in both directions at the same time. So this was considered significant because he could look back into the past and also look forward into the new year. So as of then, January 1st became the day to honor 
and to start those New Year's resolutions. Well, not worrying about keeping the ones that you were, you know, not worrying about keeping the promises sort of went the way the rest of the Babylon. But we still have the tradition of having these New Year's resolutions. Uh, and it's an interesting tradition. It's a very firmly infixed, it's, it's a fixed tradition. And in fact, this year they did a, a poll and they found that over a third of Americans made New Year's resolutions. And this is pretty consistent. And about 8% keep it. Now, this sounds true according to our own experience, right? Does this sound about right? Yeah, it's like you think about it and think, well, maybe not, maybe next year. So maybe some of you made one big resolution. And maybe you, some of you made, you know, a, a couple of smaller resolutions. And maybe some of you are still sticking to it. And maybe not. The, some of us are like, yeah, skip it. Maybe next year. Think about it later. Um, so January is our time to make a fresh start. It's the time that we think, oh, a new year. When we can make a fresh start, we can make a new beginning. The only problem with the fresh start is when we decide, you know, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. But what are we going to do with that old leaf? That is always the issue that we don't really think about. Because uh, we want to have a new habit without giving up the old habit. I might have want a resolution, for example, that I am going to have eat nothing but healthy food. I'm going to diet. I'm going to start up a big exercise regime and I'm going to lose weight. But this might get in the way of my old habit of reaching for whatever cookie or chocolate happens to me and within my immediate range of motion. So in other words, these are resolutions the old habits and the new habits often don't work concurrently. Often, however, they take up different universes in our head, and we don't realize that they don't work concurrently. We're perfectly happy to try to hold on to our old habits while starting something new. And, of course, it doesn't work, and so we give up in frustration and think, well, maybe next year, because we really want both at the same time. And so after some feeble attempt, we'll say, you know, well, ah, Try it next year, but of course it'll be much harder next year because we'll have another 364 days to hammer in the old habit that we've gone gotten quite attached to. So in order to create a new beginning, in order to make a new habit, which is really what any resolution is, to try to create a new habit, we have to let go of the old way of being. And that's where we find we are resisting. We don't want to let go of our old way of being. Now, I'm using food, weight, and exercise as general examples, but to limit our life's goals to food and exercise is intrinsically problematic because dealing with that exclusively and making those our goals, are they will not give us peace or fulfillment. I was at Trader Joe's earlier this month. And I was uh, listening to two employees talking over by the food counter. You know, the place where they have the food and the, 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 the free coffee and the snacks. Doesn't everyone else go there to get the coffee? So you go over there, and I'm listening to these employees talking. And one said, well, what did you do for the New Year? And one of the, the younger women said, yeah, well, you know, we all had a New Year's party, and we're all sitting around in a big circle, big group of people, and we all shared our New Year's resolutions. And the other woman said, oh, well, cool, cool. How, you know, what was it? And she said, Every one of them was about food. 
every one of them. And you could hear in her voice, it's like she lives with food day and night, right at Trader Joe's, but she was, you could hear in her voice the disappointment and the dismay. And it's like she was fed up. It's like, is this how, is this as, is this as deep as we're going to go? Can't anyone be more creative than this? And maybe not, because current polls tell us that um, the vast majority of people's New Year's resolutions had to do with dieting and losing weight and starting exercise. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. We're, uh, we're big supporters of having a healthy body and a healthy mind. Eating healthy is important. Keeping up some exercise is important. This is our temple. You know, it's the only one we got. We have to treat it well. However, limiting our life's goals to dealing with our body is just not going to make us terribly happy because whether we lose the weight and get healthy or not, it's just, it's not going to substantially change our mind. And that's where we have the issue. We will have the same mind 10 pounds from now. We might somehow delude ourselves into thinking that by giving up gluten, our mind will be happier. But guess what? It be the same old mind. It ain't going to change. So we have to deal with that. People won't like us anymore by losing weight or getting more exercise. We won't have, uh, you know, we will have a little kick up of happiness when we, when we lose the weight, when we get a new habit, but it won't give us what we seek, which is fulfillment which is some sense of peace, some sense of being at one with the world. That's what we're all seeking. So what do we do? Because the mind is what we have to deal with. We, we, we take the easy route thinking, well, if I, get, if I take care of this, the, I'm going to be so happy. It's like then the flowers are going to bloom. It don't work that way. We have to deal with the mind first because our happiness and our unhappiness come directly from the mind and no place else. The Bhagavad Gita said the mind, when it is trained, is our greatest friend. And when it is untrained, when it is out of control, it is our worst enemy. So it's the mind that we have to deal with. So we can't go through the delusion that once I lose those pounds, I'm going to be happy. It ain't going to happen. So what kind of new beginnings should we think about to be able to get what we want out of life? What do we want out of life? We all want fulfillment. We want joy. We want peace. We want a little sense of contentment in our life. We don't want to be going around like a hamster in a cage. We want freedom. So what kind of new beginnings can we have to get what we really want? Well, first of all, we have to remember that unless we want to change, it ain't going to happen. Unless we want to change and make some little alterations or big alterations in our life, we won't get it. So we just have to face that squarely and say, okay, do I want this enough that I'm willing to do something about it? And if you don't, fine. You know, life is eternal. If you not this life, try the next one. If not that, the next one go around and around. You know, we have infinite amount of incarnations, should we so desire. It just as Swami Prabhavananda would say, it's the same old stuff. So if, if, if we're content with that, fine, it'll keep going. But if we want something more, if we want a deeper life, then we have to do something about it. What we have to realize first is that nothing outside of ourselves is going to give us what we want. 
Nothing outside of ourselves will give us peace or contentment or make us whole. We are already complete in ourselves. We are already whole. Nothing is going to make us out there is going to make us happy. Neither, you know, it's not going to be money. It's not going to be beauty. It's not going to be the Botox. It's not going to be the new job. It's not going to be a relationship. It's not going to be grandchildren. And it's not even going to be the puppy. None of that is going to make us happy. We're the only ones who can work on our minds enough to make us happy. So what, what, what's going to make us happy? Well, counterintuitively, according to much of American culture, counterintuitively, what will make us happy is being generous, being kind, serving others, being less selfish, being not self-centered, being more loving, and being more patient, spending less time in our devices and more time with each other. That is what will make us happy. Not hard. And we all sort of know that, but we don't want to hear it because our, our culture kind of flies in the face of it. If we're having trouble, people say, well, you have to put yourself first. It's like, no, that is, that is like a catalog of misery. We have to think of the divinity within us and the divinity of those around us. What will 100% absolutely no question about us is guaranteed to make us unhappy is being selfish, being angry, being bitter, being spiteful, being jealous, being self-centered, making ourselves, in short, the center of the universe. This is 100% guaranteed to make us completely miserable. And we all know this. We all know this. So why then do we, do we slip up? Why do, we, why do we get sucked up and do this kind of behavior? Well, it's a bad habits of thinking, simply a bad habits of thinking, or more correctly, bad habits of unexamined ways of thinking. We don't really look at the ways in which we are thinking. So bad habits of not looking at what we're thinking. We really need to call upon ourselves to watch what we're thinking and to change it right at the germ level, right before it sprouts into to a, an out, external reaction. So I'll give you my suggested Vedanta resolutions for the new year. And you'll notice in here that nowhere in here do I have a separate category for work on my spiritual life or, or have a spiritual life. No separate category for that because our spiritual life is our life. Our spiritual life is the organizing facility of our life. Our spiritual life orders the direction of our life. Our spiritual life, it makes the priorities in our life. Our spiritual life directs in which way our life is going to move, which is in one direction, toward freedom, toward self-realization, toward love of God and service of others. That is what our spiritual life is, not, you know, putting in a few minutes between the laundry and the email. You know, it's good to spend a few minutes doing it, but that can't be our spiritual life, just one thing to check off on our list in our busy day. Oh, now I'm going to be spiritual, check. Okay, did that. Now I'm going to work my emails. It's got to be our life as a whole, not something that we, you know, not something on our to-do list. So my suggested resolutions are based on 
the Vedanta's primary assertions that our real nature is divine, that the divine within us, called the Atman in Sanskrit, is pure, perfect, and eternal, and it is absolutely one with the infinite divine reality which pervades this universe. Absolutely one. And the goal of our life is to realize that and to manifest it in every part of our life, to manifest it in our thoughts and our actions. Now, the corollary to this is that everyone else has a divine nature too. It isn't just wonderful, perfect me who's divine. I'm divine and you're not. Everyone, everyone's real nature is divine, pure, perfect, eternal. Everyone's real nature is freedom and joy which means there's no distinction. We are unified in and through divinity, in and through God. And so service of others is just comes as natural to us as, as washing our face in the morning because we're united in and through divinity. That For that reason, love is more true to our nature than hatred. Kindness is more true to our nature than unkindness. Generosity is more true to our nature than selfishness and self-centeredness. Hatred, anger, greed, jealousy, all these negative things go against our grain. We are not happy. We don't feel good when we do that. It's like petting a cat in the wrong direction, the fur going in the wrong way. It goes against who we are because our real nature is divine. And so whatever we do to express the unity between us goes with who we are. It's natural to us. And what goes against that, whatever separates us, whatever says, I'm, I'm me and you are you and me first, that goes against who we are. And we simply do not feel good. We are miserable when we indulge in that kind of behavior. So first on the list is be kind. Be kind. It doesn't mean being a doormat. It doesn't mean being a yes person. It doesn't mean avoiding unpleasant but necessary conversations. But it's always possible to have difficult but necessary conversations done with kindness rather than with venom or spitefulness or, or bitterness. It's always possible to do things with kindness. It's not only unnecessary to be unkind, but it actually does harm, not only for the person receiving the unkindness, but actually even more to ourselves. We're the one who suffers the most when, when we do that. His Holiness Dalai Lama said, be kind whenever possible. It's always possible. And very few people have seen the kind of suffering that he has, and if he can say that. Sri Ramakrishna said how important it was to develop spiritual knowledge, or vidya. And he said it's important to have this because vidya gives us devotion, kindness, wisdom, and love. His great disciple Swami Saradananda, who wrote Ramakrishna, the great master, said there was never a human being who walked on the earth that was more kind than Sri Ramakrishna. So first, just be kind. Not easy, but it's a good thing to do. Second, be cheerful. Because that's who we are. Our real nature is sat, cheat, ananda. Infinite being, infinite pure awareness, consciousness. And ananda, infinite joy, 
Infinite joy is part of who we are. It's not separate from us. It is us. We don't try to be happy. We are happiness. We are joy itself. That's who we are. So we should not be grumpy. Because when we're grumpy, when we're bad-humored, we hide our light from ourselves. We put a bag over our head and say, I can't see anything. Being cheerful is who we are. Swami Vivekananda said, the first sign of becoming religious is that you are becoming cheerful. When someone is gloomy, that may be indigestion, but it is not religious. He also said, what business do you have to go around with clouded faces? That clouded face is a very Indian expression. You can just visualize it's like, what business do you have to go around with clouded faces? It is terrible. If you have a clouded face, do not go out that day. Shut yourself in your room. What right do you have to carry out that disease into the world? And I was thinking about it. You know, he's right to use the word disease because moods are contagious. You know what it's like when you go in a room and someone is just ticked off, angry, or just in a foul mood? We just instinctively, you know, avoid. We go someplace else because you don't want to be around the radioactive, you know, contaminants. So don't carry the disease into the world because we're, we're not our, we're forcing other people to suffer with our disease. So be cheerful. We all have worries and anxieties. All of us do. But most of our worries and anxieties are, are things like little clouds that, that don't have any real existence. We worry and have anxiety of what may happen in the future. Oh, this will happen, then this, that happens, and this happens, and then we have this beautiful, glorious present, and we're ignoring it because we're perseverating about what could happen in the future. Something that 99% of the time will not happen. Meanwhile, we've kind of missed it. Or what we do is um, ruminate about the past. We ruminate, we regurgitate it, we need it to death. We don't let it just die and go to heaven. Just leave it alone. It's gone. It's gone. It's done. It's over. It has no reality. The past has, it's over. The future, all the things, we have no idea what the future is going to bring. But we obsess about both of them instead of enjoying the beauty of the present that we have with us right now. So don't be grumpy and bad-humored, because it's a bummer for everybody. Just be cheerful, because Ananda is our real nature. That's who we are. So when we're cheerful, we really reflect that divinity within us. Third resolution, be generous. The truth is, money doesn't make us happy unless we give it away. And, and I'm, I'm not being facetious. It's actually really interesting. Some very interesting studies have been done lately on what makes people happy. There are whole studies now on happiness studies. But it, what's fascinating is that they've shown that there is a basic level of subsistence, a basic level of material comfort has to be reached. Okay, there has to be sort of basic allowance for food, shelter, clothing for oneself and one's children. Once that is reached, no matter how much more money you get, you are not any happier than you were than when you had basic subsistence level. They did a worldwide survey of 37 countries 
capitalist, communist, ex-communist, rich, poor, everywhere in between, you know, totalitarian, you know, egalitarian, everybody. And that can absolutely consistent throughout. Once you get more money, you're not going to be any happier than when you had basic comforts, basic things. So you didn't have to be worrying about if you're going to get food the next day. For example, the people in Nigeria are every bit as happy as the people in Japan. Japan has 25 times the amount of wealth that the average individual has in Nigeria, and yet they're every bit as happy. Denmark has one of the highest levels of happiness in the world, and it's not because they've got really great central heating or they've got you know better toys or furniture. What makes them happy is they have an outrageous uh, amount of trust. They instinctively, they're kind of trained by society to trust other people. They instinctively trust the stranger. People who come in, they have no idea who that person is. They trust him and feel that that person is worthy of their care and affection. Huge amount of trust, huge amount of social cooperation. They trust their institutions. There's a huge amount of social integration where people get together and do things. There's a lot of cooperation. That makes people happy not the money. They instinctively feel that the stranger is kind and that stranger needs the same help as their own children. A Canadian psychologist by the name of Elizabeth Dunn has been doing wonderful studies in happiness as well. And she said the highest level of well-being was among those people who spent money on others. And we're not talking about the Bill Gates of this world. We're not talking about the high rollers who can donate $10,000 to have a plaque put in their name and say, you know, this person helped cerebral palsy or, you know, put in a chair at the music academy. Not that. The, the people who gave $5 to another person in need were shown to have the highest level of well-being. So tis better to give than receive works with us human beings almost on a cellular level because we are all united and connected to one another through divinity, through the self. So this generosity, this giving, reifies, reaffirms that sense that we all have, that we're united in and through divinity. We're all connected and interrelated. And if we don't be behave in such a way, if we're self-centered and try to accrue for ourselves and separating from others, we pay for it, not only psychologically, but spiritually. So we're not talking about megabucks. We're talking about, you know, a $5 bill here and there just to help someone else when you feel, yeah, this person could use a break. This person needs a hand. But there is a catch in giving, and it's a huge catch. That is that when we give, we can't expect anything in return. Not gratitude, not appreciation, not nothing. We have to give freely with no strings attached. Not on our side, not on their side. Free. Absolutely free. Because without that, we will be miserable and they'll be miserable. Swami Vivekananda said, In the world, always take the position of the giver. Give everything and ask for no return. Give love, give help, give service, give any little thing you can. But keep out 
barter. In other words, I give you that, you better give me that. Barter. He said, make no conditions and none will be given. He said, let us give out of our own bounty, just as God gives to us. So we can't expect or want or even have this little glimmer of hope in the back of our head that someone is going to be grateful or appreciative. Because doing so is a credit card to misery. We can't expect gratitude. We can't think that by doing something above all else, that someone should be indebted to us. That's absolute poison. We should be grateful we have the opportunity to serve. We should be grateful that we can pass along whatever we have. I mean, we have to leave it. Leave it at that and be free. I mean, after all, what do we really have here? And do any of us really own anything? You know, the universe kind of gives, and we have this temporary, you know, engagement with it, and then we just pass it along. Everything comes to us, we just pass it along. Everyone is free that way. Then we don't get attached, we don't expect, any expectation we have brings misery in its train. So just be grateful for the opportunity we've been presented, and let it go, move on. Fourth suggestion. Let's remember that getting something won't make us happy. Why do we always fall for that? Because really, the more we own, the more things own us. We get a new car, we think, oh my God, that person's opening that door, do not scratch my car. We get a new dress and immediately, you know, you have some salad and they get salad dressing on, you got to take it to the dry cleaner, get a new house. And the first thing is like, oh my God, now there's, it's raining. Do I have the drains going? It's like how much, whatever, however much we have, however much we own, it owns us as well. So we have to remember that just having external things will not make us happy. We have to reduce what we want because if we don't get what we want, we're frustrated and then we're unhappy. So we have to minimize our wants simply to keep us as free as we can. Fifth suggestion, be grateful and appreciative. None of us can get through this by ourselves. None of us. This life is a tough road to hope. None of us do it by ourselves. We owe so much to so many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who have given and supported and shared their wisdom and their strength and their skills with us. All of our teachers, our parents, our relatives, our coworkers, our enemies who've taught us lessons no one else would teach us, our friends who've been there to support us. We have to be grateful for that. Gratitude expands the heart and it gives us the necessary humility that we all need. I was out this morning taking out the trash and I saw uh, 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 the firemen going down the street and I know they've been checking on Romero Canyon Creek, making sure that we're all safe. It's like, thank you guys. How much we in Santa Barbara, are we grateful for our firemen? How much when we have a problem that we call the police, are we grateful they've showed up? You bet. How much are we grateful for the rain? So gratitude, appreciation expands our hearts. It reminds us of how we're all interconnected and interrelated and how we are unified through this divinity. Six, give service. If we want to serve God, Swami Vivekananda said, 
serve the human being right in front of us, serve animals, serve, serve other beings. Because we don't have to go to a temple to worship. We can worship the divinity that appears before us masquerading as human beings. We can, it doesn't, we don't have to be Mother Teresa. We don't have to be heroic. We don't have to fly up to Calcutta. We can serve others with a kind word. We can serve others with a cup of tea when they're depressed. We can visit someone in the hospital. We can be there for someone when they think they don't have another friend in the world. We can take out someone to dinner when we know they need a break and they're just about ready to lose it. We can take someone out to a coffee, cup of coffee and just say, you know, I'd really like to get to know you. You look like a really interesting person. We can serve the homeless, if not by handing them a, a dollar or, or five, just by showing them a smile and showing them that you know that they're not, that they are visible, that they're not invisible, that we're not seeing through them. We can we can pat a dog or a cat. We can give service in a thousand ways, often by just a quick phone call, just a phone call to someone that we know is lonely and in pain. All these are things of service. And all these are important because serving one another is who we are as human beings. If we don't do that, we fall into our little cocoons and we become miserable. There are so many ways in which we can serve. It doesn't have to be heroic. Just any small act of kindness that goes a long way. Interesting, there was a college course, I think it was at Ohio State, uh, uh, neurophysio, neuro something, there are all these many studies on happiness. Anyway, there was a 10-week course on happiness. And of course, like a gazillion undergraduates signed up where it's like, hey, great, five units for studying happiness, I'm in. So they, um, a huge amount of people signed up for it. And it was a 10-week course. And it was a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday course. And on Friday, they would go out to have their expeditions, you know, for college outings. And every Friday, they would go out and they would have these things on things to make us happy. And one Friday, they went out to like a top-rated movie. They all got free tickets to this Oscar-winning movie. It was just up for the Oscars. It's like, great. So they see this movie. They all loved it. After this expedition, they come back to the class, and they fill out a survey. On a scale of one to five, how happy are you? And they all put in like a four or five. Great movie, memorable, great acting, great ensemble. Great. Next week, they went out. And they went and bought some really nice used toys. You know, they weren't expensive. They, they, they were nice looking, but they were used. And they went out and they gave them to underprivileged, underserved children. And they played with them for that time. They just played with the kids. And they went back, went back to their college, filled out a survey. It's like, how happy are you? And almost exactly like the movie, they're all between a four and a five. This is how happy I am. At the end of the whole college quarter, they they asked the, did a survey. It's like, what made you the happiest? And what was the most, what do you remember the best? To a person, 100%, every single one of those students said they remembered playing with the kids, getting the toys, buying them the toys, and playing with them. That was their happiest moment, and it was also the moments they remembered the most. What does that show us? We feel happier when we give, not when we get. We all feel happier when we serve, when we're out there being with other people, when we are sharing, 
Why? Because it's true to who we are. It expresses our divinity. It's affirming the divinity in others. That's why. Because we're united in and through divinity. Seventh suggestion. Keep a routine of meditation. Now, by meditation, I don't mean going into cat space. I don't mean relaxing. I don't mean going into a hot tub. I don't mean a slow, mindful walk, one foot in front of the other. I don't mean a nature walk, listening to the birds. I mean sitting down and watching your mind going every which and way and then bringing it back. Meditation means concentrating our mind on our divinity within ourselves. And when it goes away, which it will within about three seconds, bringing it back. It's very difficult. It takes a lot of concentration. It takes a lot of practice. For that reason, because it is difficult, because it takes a lot of practice, um, it, we need to make it a habit. Otherwise, we won't do it because it's hard. Shankara, in one of his great commentaries, said that the mind, by nature, always goes downhill. And in the Sanskrit verse, he goes, ta-da, 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 ta-da. So I think, when, and then, and then, and then, ta-da, ta-da. Which sounds just like a ball going down a bunch of steps. Which is just what the mind does, does because at the very bottom of the hill, you're like, oh my God, how did I get there? That is the way the mind goes. So we need to form a habit of meditating because otherwise we won't do it because it's hard. It's hard to form a new habit. So we have, but meditation should be like brushing our teeth in the morning. We can't imagine going outside and leaving the house for the day without brushing our teeth. Ew. In the same way, our meditation, we need to clean this too. We need to clean our mind. We need to clean the heart. Our meditation should be so instinctive that we can't imagine going, we can't imagine going the day without, without meditating. And the advantage to the habit is that after a while, it's hard at first to form the habit, but once it does form, you can't, you're miserable if you can't meditate. If something happens in your schedule and your meditation gets screwed up, it's like the rest of the day is kind of ruined. It's like, you everything's kind of off kilter. It's out of sorts. You need to have that. So that without meditation, our mind can never become our friend because we'll always be fighting it. With the habit of meditation, the mind becomes our friend. And as Chakra says, our mind can be our greatest enemy and our mind can be our greatest friend. And it's up to us which one we want. Which one do we want? What In our universe that we're stuck between our ears, which one do we prefer? Our, an enemy in there or a friend? It's our choice. For that reason, I have resolution number eight. Keep some holy reading going during the day. Keep Because it's very hard to keep the mind at a higher level. All I'm not even going to talk about our thousands and millions of past lives where we've had all this dread going into our mind. Think of, think of the mind as being like those scales, right? The scales of justice like that. And all through the day for how many decades we've had all this drat going into our mind, weighing it down. Thoughts of selfishness, thoughts of anger, self-centeredness. How much of that time, how much of our mind, how much of the content of this hand 
has thoughts of God, thoughts of our divinity, thoughts of the ultimate reality. How much there and how much have been about basic, you know, finite things that go away that will not give us any peace. So we need to sort of change the weight of the balance. So in this other arm, this other weight, we have to put thoughts that are elevating thoughts, things that will, that will make our rise, our mind rise to a higher level and not go down. Because what will happen is that we always will need the company of our mind and a time will come to us. We will may have nothing but the company of our mind. What are we going to put into our mind to keep us at a higher level? So we have to have hap- not just happy thoughts, not silly thoughts. We have to have elevating thoughts. Swami Asheshananda, the great disciple of Holy Mother in Portland, used to say, keep your, high, your mind as high as the mountains. And he is referring to the Himalayas, but these mountains work just fine. So we have to have holy reading, elevating thoughts, thoughts that make us think of God, of the higher reality, of our own divinity. Something that'll, because when we are in a pinch, we are going to need those thoughts. And if we've made a habit of keeping these thoughts in our mind, those will come to us when we need it. Those are going to be the things that we remember. And we will be so grateful that we had that kind of storehouse. It's like, okay, you have a snow day. Oh my God, what do I have in the pantry? We're going to be so glad we've got that in our mind's pantry. We need the pantry filled with good thoughts. We need food not only for the body. We need health. We think about healthy food consistently. It's kind of sickening. It's like food, food, food. How much do we think about the food going in our mind? That's more important. What are we stuffing into our mind? Are we putting in a junk food in our mind? What are we choosing? That time that we're spending trolling the internet, could we be studying something more elevating? Could we be reading Vivekananda? Could we be reading Shankar? Could we be reading the Gospel of Ramakrishna, the Gospel of Holy Mother, the lives of the disciples? These wonderful spiritual readings are available. Watch a great spiritual movie. We've been watching the Mahabharata on Saturday nights. It's great. Read the Ramayana. Read the Mahabharata. Read comic books that are spiritual. But something to keep the mind at a higher level. Else When we need it, it won't be there, and we'll be there with an empty pantry, and we wish we put something in there. We need thoughts that'll give us strength. Number nine. Isn't that a song with John Lennon? Number nine. So we need to remember what changes and what doesn't change. You know, if we haven't figured it out yet, life isn't easy. There, in every life, there's a lot of ups and downs, We have successes and we have failures. We have joys and we have tragedies as well. For every success we have, there will be a failure. For every joy we have, there will be a sorrow. For everything it goes in one direction, whenever we're in the middle of some sort of triumph and joy, remember, this too shall pass. Whenever we're in the middle of an extraordinarily painful situation that we don't think we shall survive, This too shall pass. Everything shall pass. So if we're on a raging current in the storm of life, we have to remember whatever is making that that raft shake, this too shall pass. 
this too shall pass. Whether it's a happy situation or a miserable situation, this too shall pass. The only thing that is not that does not pass away, the only thing that is eternal is the Atman, that divinity within us. Everything else changes. Everything else passes away. But the Atman, that divinity within us that unites us with all other beings, that will never pass away. It is eternal. It is pure. It is never affected by illness, not by Alzheimer's, not by death itself. And nothing and no one can take away that from us because it is who we are. We are that pure, perfect divinity. Nothing can take that away. And if we can try to remember that, that will give us enormous strength in the storm. When I, like all the bets are down and I'm thinking, oh God, there's a verse in the Bhagavad Gita that I just chant to myself. It says, Nasato vedite bhavo, nabavo vedite sataha, ubiora pitris tvantva, tvanios tattva darshivihi. Bhagavad Gita 2.16. The unreal has no existence, right? We were talking about uh, worrying about the future, obsessing about the past, doing all those things. The unreal has no reality. It does not exist. The real never ceases to be. The real never ceases to be. The Atman, who we really are, is eternal. That alone is unchanging. The alone is unchanging. Or put more simply, remember what is permanent and what will pass away, or even more simply, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't, don't get head up about things that are small and are petty and which will change and will not make a bit of difference getting involved in. And get in. don't waste our energies or our mind in, in the small stuff. Think of what's real and what's eternal and what will bring us real peace and joy. Put our attention there. Finally, number 10, we need to enjoy what's right in front of us right now. It's raining. Thank you. Thank you. We have been praying for rain for five years. We've had the Sunday school praying for rain. We have been so, we have seen the trees dying and stressed and the animals stressed. We've been so concerned. It's raining. Thank you. We get so consumed in our vortex of daily life that we fail to appreciate what's in front of us all the time. We get so busy with our tiny little dumb routines and our little obsessions and our little anxieties and our little routines that we fail to look at what's in front of us. We fail to see the beauty of a rainy sky, the beauty of a clear day, the wonderful sunsets and the sunrises, the smile of a child, old people holding hands, an old person whopping a young person in ping pong. Two old people having a good conversation. Dogs running on the beach. Cats being cats. Birds flying. All these wonderful things that we're shown every minute of the day. But they got, they're just lost on us. It's like we go to a top-rated movie and we, and we put on a blindfold. These are a manifestation of the divinity of the entire world around us. 
And if we miss that, if we get clogged in our head like an old drain, then then what use is this beautiful what this beautiful creation that we've been given? You know, we're here for such a short time. We're here in a heartbeat. It's gone in a minute. We shouldn't wait until the doctor says, you have one month to live, before we go, oh, look at that beautiful smile in this child. Ah, how many more sunsets do I have? We have as many sunsets as we choose ourselves to observe. We have amazing miracles every day, and we simply blind ourselves to them. Sri Ramakrishna tells the story of a holy man in the Himalayas, and his one spiritual practice was to go down to a waterfall, and he'd be so in bliss by the waterfall that he would chant and clap and dance and go, well done, well done, bravo, God, you've done a great job. To be able to be inebriated with divine bliss, seeing the, the very presence of the divine in a waterfall, we're given this opportunity we just pull down the curtains in front of our eyes. So my final suggestion is to open our eyes. Happy New Year. Om Purnamadav Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachate Purnasya Purnamataya Purnameva Vashishate Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Sri Ramakrishna Panamastu You've been listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Thanks for listening.